This is Paul Nobles from e to Form. I am sitting here without April Blackford uh, this time. April is normally that little thumbnail at the bottom until she talks. But uh, I'm all alone until uh, Baker Levitt from Killcliffe stops by. Baker is actually kind of an interesting character, one of the, the funnier people that I know within the industry. And I think he's sort of delayed in a meeting right now. And so I'm going to kind of trying to entertain you guys. For the people that aren't, you know, don't do this fairly often, um, we do try to have a topic. I don't know where we're gonna go with that today, just because we don't have any April. So uh, it's gonna be really more of kind of an entertainment type thing. And I think you're gonna find Baker to be fairly entertaining. And so uh, once he gets on, we'll get rolling. But I thought I'd start off it was sort of interesting because we were having a um, a discussion with one of the ladies on on staff, and she was sort of disappointed with the interaction that she had with someone online. Um, and you know, I sort of related this story. Um, I don't know if you guys can hear my dog barking upstairs, but, uh, you know, this is sort of on the fly. My family normally is gone uh, for the Monday night podcast, but um, tonight is not one of those nights. So when I was in my the, the, the prime of my poker playing career, one of the big things that um, was kind of a big thing was charity poker tournaments. And I played in a number of them. It was sort of like this, you know, expectation, but it was also kind of fun. I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't the case. Uh, there was one that was uh, really star-studded, and I think it was it was it was for charities related to to Africa, uh, specifically Darfur, and I believe that the host was Don Cheadle at the time, and and so, you know, you had George Clooney and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and all these guys. But actually, what was funny about that that tournament was that the big um, the big guest was uh, Charles Barkley. It seemed like everyone, most of the other guys. Um, just kind of laid low, but Charles Barkley was out and about amongst everybody. I don't know if you guys can hear, but I have a little bit of a cold that I'm still trying to get over um, from this weekend. So, uh, but one of the poker tournaments that they had was here in Minnesota, and Trent Tucker, who played for the Chicago Bills at one, Bulls at one point, <coughs> um, he was hosting these events. And so he would have a number of basketball players, friends of his, and one of them was Michael Jordan. And so it was it was really interesting uh, signing up for this event because you know it was it cost a couple thousand dollars to be in there, but you know the good majority of people in Minnesota don't have a couple thousand dollars to play in a in a poker tournament, so it was actually sort of small. There was some well-known uh, names within poker and uh, some of whom were very good friends of mine and and will come up in the story and then uh, and then you know there was a lot of 
basketball players. You know, Scottie Pippen was there, Patrick Ewing was there, Charles Oakley was there, and of course Michael Jordan. Um, Kevin Garnett was there. Um, and so uh, what was one of the most interesting things about the night was that nothing happened until Michael Jordan showed up. I mean, literally you had, you know, some of the biggest, you know, Hall of Fame basketball players. And, you know, I remember Scottie Pippen, like, had earphones on. You know, he didn't want to, you know, talk to anybody or anything like that. It was sort of funny, though, because, like, it wasn't like a bunch of people were dying to talk to Scottie Pippen either, you know. So it was, it was sort of like this weird, um, weird thing. The poker tournament itself was very loose. It was, it was at a um, horse track here in Minnesota where uh, poker is legal. And, uh, you know, I remember at my table was Kevin Garnett, which at that time was a Timberwolf and kind of a, kind of a big deal. Uh, but none of these people played poker. Um, they weren't very good at it. And it wasn't like, um, you know, like I said, if there was six to eight people at every table, there was two to three well-known poker players, which I don't even really know what a well-known poker player is, but um, I would not have been one of the well-known poker players, um, even though um, from an online standpoint, I was probably a little bit more successful than some of the people that were playing at the time. Then you'd have you know one or two of these basketball players or sort of local celebrities and stuff like this. And um, at one point, you know, it was, we took a break and uh, one of the guys that I sort of knew, um, I wouldn't say that he was a friend, but at that time we were friendly. I would say that if I saw him now, he wouldn't recognize me and I probably wouldn't recognize him, but he won, I believe, the 2007 World Series of Poker. There was a... The big year was Chris Moneymaker. What's funny is that a lot of people attribute a lot of the success to poker to Chris Moneymaker, um, which is his real name, um, and just one of the most interesting people you will ever meet in real life. Very unassuming guy. Did not win millions upon millions of dollars. Um, and was just sort of a normal guy that sort of lucked into um, the situation that he was in. And because, like, this just regular guy from Tennessee um, won the World Series of Poker, at the same time that online poker was happening, it really was one of the, you know, big factors for everything sort of blowing up. So this is right about the same time that these poker tournaments start to become kind of a big deal. So Greg, Greg uh, Raymer, um, he, Fossil Man, um, was also sort of an amateur poker player. He was definitely much better than Chris Moneymaker. Um, I played with him uh, in France at the World Poker Tour event. Um, he and my wife had some conversations. Um, you know, I'd say I probably met Greg two or three times, but there wasn't um, – you know, a lot of internet, you know, I don't know Greg's phone number. I don't text Greg, but you know, when I saw him in real life, it was always nice to have a conversation with him because he was a family guy and within poker, there wasn't a lot of 
people like that. So it was the break. And so I walk over to talk to Greg, say hi. And uh, we're talking and we sort of mosey over to what is becoming a circle. And, you know, in the middle of the circle, you know, is Michael Jordan. You know, and it was really sort of funny because um, the it was, it was a very alpha male kind of thing. You know, Michael Jordan, you know, the, like the, the standard stuff, you know, him smoking a cigar and, and, and things like this and sort of holding court and then we're all having you know this conversation and so at one point um michael jordan looks at greg who's sitting right next to me uh we're standing right next to me and goes hey i know you um and greg kind of nods he's like yeah you know like uh i won the world series of poker this year he's like yeah that was awesome man you know and, and he and greg start talking he said where are you from man you know, and says North Carolina, and George's like, I'm from North Carolina. We should play poker together, you know. And uh, so Greg, you know, is like, oh, my God, that would be amazing. Um, but Greg actually had a really bad incident at the Bellagio probably a month previous to that where he was robbed. Um and he actually ended up like fighting off the people. I don't remember the details of the story. This was, you know, obviously, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Um, but he ended up fighting off the, the, the people. Um, and it was sort of like this weird, like, why wouldn't you just give them your money and, and stay safe? But that's not what he chose to do. And uh, so that was sort of one thing. But that does play a part in the story. So uh, Jordan invites him to the game. And Greg says, you know, what do we do about the money? And Jordan says, well, typically we do cash. And Greg Rammer's like, I'm not bringing cash. You know, I, I had this really bad incident at the Bellagio. Is there any way we can, like, do something a little bit different? Because, you know, I'm really scared of being robbed. <laughs> and, like, uh, Jordan smiles and i haven't really talked if you don't know who charles oakley is okay charles oakley played with michael jordan um played on the the new york knicks also um but he was kind of like this enforcer guy right um and whenever you see michael jordan in real life charles oakley is almost always with him um because they're they're good friends but also you know if you ever see charles oakley in real life you know, you know, you don't want any piece of Charles Oakley, right? And so we're sitting there talking, and Greg says, You know, I'm scared of being robbed. And Michael Jordan's like, Look, man, nobody's going to be robbing you, you know, at my house. Um, and then Charles Oakley stands up, and I mean, he's just like the biggest, most imposing guy you've ever seen in real life. And he just like, you know, takes his arms, leans back, and goes, Greg, trust me, we ain't getting robbed. <laughs> and, I mean, to this day, you know, it was just one of one of those moments. Um, that, you know, that, that night was, like, spectacular. I ended up one of the 
the other friends of mine was a guy named Hoyt Corkins. If you follow poker at all, you probably do know who Hoyt is also. Um, it, you know, we could go forever with stories like this because, you know, um, you know, Hoyt got to be well known because um, actually two weeks after meeting Hoyt, we had become really good friends. I was supposed to um, stay with him at Foxwoods Casino. And uh, I ended up getting sick and couldn't make it um, to play that event. In that event, um, he went on to win. And he actually, um, there's Baker right there. I just finished I just finished my Michael Jordan story. I don't know. What are you talking about? Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. What were yeah. you talking about Jordan about? No, I was just talking to him about playing poker with Michael Jordan. Um, how much did you take from him? No, it wasn't like that. Actually, you know what? That's the funniest part about that story um, is that uh, – Don't tell me Jordan took money from you. It was a charity tournament, and uh, Michael Jordan won it. Um, you let him it, win. It was, it was not rigged. Um, you know, it just – you know, he just kind of got the, the luck of the cards for that day. But uh, so one of my friends – um, this guy named Hoyt Corkins. If you know, if you know poker, you might know Hoyt. But um, but what was funny about Hoyt was that he uh, he was sort of known to gamble in spots most people wouldn't gamble, and nowadays that's very common. At that time, it was not very common. So here's this guy, like Hoyt, as an example, cannot read. And so, so this is a guy that, you know, he's just an old time gambler, you know, um, and he's probably, you know, I'm 47. So Hoyt's probably you know, almost 60 now, you know, and uh, I think that was a little bit of the appeal. You know, he just seemed like kind of an old, old, you know, time gambler. So he got it in with this other guy who was sort of a, also known to be a bit of a gambler. And when Hoyt showed up at the final table, I think he had something like eight million of the chips, and and the other five participants only had like two million, so it was it was over. But I was supposed to be going to that poker tournament with him, and the way that poker works is typically, if I were, you know, in a poker tournament with with Hoyt, I would typically have about ten percent of his action. So it would have been worth about two hundred thousand dollars, but because I was sick, um, I didn't end up making it. But long story longer, um, I went out with Hoyt that night, um, hung out with Michael Jordan, hung out with Jimmy Jam, uh, Kevin Garnett. One of the best nights of my life. But what was the most funny thing is, is I was relating it to a member of my staff who was talking about this bad interaction with they had s someone. Um, online and i was like you gotta be careful because you know for that person you know their interactions with you are a very big deal you know and i was relating it to to this was one of the best nights of my life michael jordan doesn't even know what happened <laughs> you know what I mean? right. yeah so it's just kind of one of it's just kind of one of those things so I'll introduce Baker. Um, Baker's sort of the, the entertainment arm of Killcliff. Is that is that probably an apt description? Yeah, I'm, yeah. The, head of, I'm the head of the department. 
Yeah, so like you have what I mean, how developed is your podcast idea? Because it's probably as developed as this podcast started. So, I mean, mine's not even a pot. I mean, I just, I sat in front of a camera. I had no, everyone said, everyone's been telling me to do it. You got to do a podcast. You got to do a podcast. I mean, normally I just record stuff on my phone and put it on Facebook with no plan, nothing. And so everyone's been kind of pushing me to do it. So I said, okay. So I, I called my buddy who's a camera dude and went and sat in his office and he just put me on green screen and just hit record. And I had no plan, nothing. I just started talking. Um, I haven't promoted it. I basically just put it, uh, put a Vimeo link to it on my Facebook page and it's been downloaded in, I think 13 countries as of now. Um, and this was just Saturday. I think I'm over a thousand downloads, which is, um, I, I don't, you know, the fact that there's th the people in 13 countries that took the time out of their data listen to this stupid shit that I had to say, excuse my French, but like, I, I was just kind of blown away. So it, it was hilarious. I'm going to get, I'm going to get into it a little bit, but what's the podcast going to be called? The panic room with black Baker. Okay. There we go. So, okay. So now I want I want to get going right off the bat, but yeah, it is, it is sort of humbling when you realize like, well, first of all, the person that normally hosts this with me is much better looking than um and she she normally has on a tank top and people are very impressed with her traps so i apologize if any of you guys are disappointed um that baker isn't the eye candy well i mean some people might some people you know you might be their look no absolutely not no you might be what no they're going for um so hopefully this will this will end at a reasonable time but both baker and i tend to be um long-winded so, okay, so my wife wanted me to talk to you about your beef with Good and Plenty's because... Oh, that's, hey, how much time do you have? <laughs> so, so in his podcast, you know, he kind of made a point of Good and Plenty's and, like, basically demeaned anyone that would choose to buy Good and Plenty. Good and Plenty's is, like, my wife's go-to candy. Like, Milk Duds and Good and Plenty's are her go-to candy. Milk Duds are delicious. Right. No one's going to argue with that. Find five people that think Good and Plenty's are, are, are good. You're 47 oh. years old. I guarantee you, between you and your wife, you can't find five people that will say, oh, my God, those things are delicious. No, you know why? Because they, they're, they're disgusting. They taste terrible. I'm going to tell I know a whole country that thinks that they're delicious. Which country is that? And I, and I didn't even know this until I started going to Amsterdam. So, the, Am oh, come on. Those people are stoned 99% of the time. They don't care. They just want something to munch on. Right. So, so I walk into this, this candy store after dinner, and I'm thinking, you know, it's real, it's real close to Belgium. There's going to be lots of chocolate. Um, half the store was like licorice or licorice related products. I could not, I mean, seriously, I couldn't believe it. And I don't, you know, maybe I just like stumbled upon like some weird twilight zone licorice type of thing, but yeah, I, I don't think so. Thing. They're gross. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't yeah, get it. I don't, I don't mind licorice. I mean, licorice jelly bellies I can kind of deal with. Red but. licorice, Twizzlers, red licorice, excuse me, red licorice is good and Twizzlers are good. Oh, come on. Black licorice is nasty. 
Yeah. See, this is someone that I like. I understand like the value of calories. Like, there's a lot of calories in like a Twizzler, and it's like a horrible, you know. Isn't it like good for prostate health or something, or is it just the black ones? Uh, well, if it's good for prostate health, it's probably the black ones because those are nasty, and they probably got to find some some type of use for them. Like, who in the hell invented these? Oh, they're great for prostate cancer. Like, oh shit. Okay, let me let me get some of those. Okay, that makes sense. So now. Let me ask you a question. So you you just like nonstop send Josh Bridges dick pics or what? Who? <laughs> Josh Bridges. See, this is what I think. So, okay, for, for you guys that don't know, okay, so Baker works with a lot of high-level CrossFit Games athletes. I have never sent Josh Bridges a dick pic in my life. <laughs> See, I think that would be the funniest thing ever, right? It seems, like, it seems like a wheelhouse thing for you. No, 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 I, no, no. There's a lot of people that send like dick pics or like pics when they go to the bathroom. I, that's not me. No, I don't do that. Like, the, I'm creative. I used that's to, not creative. Do you ever listen to like the the Mark Bell Powercast? Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Mark. So Mark Bell is um, uh, Chris Bell's brother. Chris Bell did Bigger, Stronger, Faster, yeah. and um, what's that other documentary um, about kids? Super Kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There, there was one of them that was really good. Yeah, both Stronger, Faster, Healthier about sports. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was really good. Yeah. In our and, so, and Mark Bell is uh, – I've met him a couple times. Um, I, he, I don't think he'd know who I was, but his, like, really close friend, Jesse Burdick, is a very good friend of mine. So Jesse Burdick and Katie, uh, Katie Hogan, they're, they're engaged. Yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah, Mark Bell is funny as hell, and he's big. Dude, he's, he, he's taller than you think. He's, like, over six. Oh, yeah. Like when, think, you, when you think about the CrossFit games, I mean, it doesn't look like, you know. And what's funny is that there's Mark Bell. Okay, so there's you, you know, and you're not like a little dude, right? And then Mark Bell yeah, is like. Tiny dude compared to him, man. Yeah, my, Mark Bell's like gigantic. And then there's like these strongman guys who are just like unreal. Like, they're, you know, Andre the Giant type people, you know. Right. Um, but, yeah, no. So, so what you know baker communicates a lot you know especially on the entertainment side of of kill cliff um you know i just remember like the the matt frazier one where um he was doing the gun thing a little bit you would have probably coordinated a little bit of that stuff right uh for, for the ar he was shooting yeah yeah i gave him that gun yeah so <laughs> yeah so, so that like so that that's an AR from Two Vets Arms, Dean Brantley and Amber Brantley in Oklahoma, really good friends of mine. I'll actually be with them tomorrow at Shot Show in Vegas. Um, yeah, they uh, they we gave that assault rifle to Matt Frazier. But yeah, as far as like um, like coordinating with athletes and stuff, you know, I just kind of hear hey, we need to get them promoting this. We need to group not. Andy Stump now manages all of our athlete relations, um, yeah. and I just kind of help with like the. My energy is contagious. I get excited about something. It's easy for me to get other people excited. Uh, sometimes it's warranted. Sometimes it's not. You know, not every idea is a great idea. But yeah, that's kind of what I do, which is just kind of the hype machine, I guess you could say. You know? Yeah, no, you're 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 similar to to your energy, is similar to mine, where it's like you have a good idea, and you're gonna do whatever it takes to see that idea happen. You whatever know? it takes to convince everyone else it's a good idea. Yeah, and and you know, there that role is really important in most organizations because you know what happens in a lot of businesses 
is, you know, you just get in kind of the daily doldrums and, you know, you know, you sort of need a hype person. Like we, we have a meal planning group and, and, you know, one of the gals in the meal planning group, Stephanie Thibodeau, I keep telling her, I was like, I was like, you have to think of us as like a hip hop group. And like, you're the person that's on the mic going, get your hands up, get your hands up. You know, so, th so that's like your role at Kill Cliff, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I don't like that analogy, but it's pretty darn accurate. I don't want to see myself as doing that, but yeah, that's basically what it is in a nutshell. Um, yeah. Yeah, you just got to keep it exciting. You got to keep it fresh, and you got to keep it new. And like, if you just sit around and do the same stuff over and over, um, or it, it just gets stagnant, you know. And you just when your when your job becomes your pat when your passion becomes your job, it's no longer your passion. It's then your job. And what you have to do is there's a fine balance between passion and, and job and you got to find that and then work the hell out of it, you know, and like got to get up early, got to go to bed late, you know, always thinking of something, always trying to push the envelope or, you know, the thing that I don't like is like piggybacking off of others creativity. Like I, I tend to, at Coke, we tend to kind of like to focus on our own stuff and come up with our own ideas as opposed to like focusing on what other people do. Like anytime, anything you see in print, is already old news. You know, it's already done. It's already been played out. Um, you just got to stay in front of the curve. So like our Navy SEAL Foundation, uh, the two challenges we did, the Navy SEAL Foundation bow challenge, huge, hugely successful. And then uh, over Christmas, we did the 12 days, the Killcliffe Navy SEAL Foundation, 12 days of Christmas bicep challenge. So every day you had to do 12 curls. You know, everybody likes to do curls. Uh, it doesn't matter and anyone can do it and it's just something fun to do, you know, and and we raised eleven thousand four hundred dollars uh, For the seal foundation doing that which is cool. So we've got one coming up in February um, I won't tell you what that is yet, but we will be releasing that sooner Rather than probably the ECC will we'll, we'll get that one hopping, you know Yeah, you, you guys are the primary sponsor there, right? You were the primary sponsor for granted. Well, hold on. we are we're in a we're the first for-profit company the Navy SEAL Foundation has ever partnered with. So we are a partner of the Navy SEAL Foundation. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I don't know the exact number, we donated uh, just over, I think, $200,000 in cash to the SEAL Foundation this year. Cool. So, yeah, no, it's kind of interesting. I don't know what your thoughts are because you guys have some relationships within the organization to Navy SEALs. One of the books that I just sort of stumbled upon uh, recently was um, Living with a Navy SEAL. And I know you have like... Where, what, I, I think I saw that title the other day. Where, where did that come from? What was that? Well, there was a... Um, it's, it's a guy. Uh, the guy is basically one of the guys, um, the founding members of Marquee Jets. And his wife owns Spanx. I think her name's Sarah Blakely. Oh, they're 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 hurting for money. Let me tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, she. Well, she. I think like her and Oprah are like the two females that are like from zero to a billion dollars. You yeah, know? A, it's one of those ideas. It's like, why didn't I think of that? You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and then as he describes it in the book, you're you you feel like even stupider, right, for not thinking of it. But basically, in this book. And it was sort of funny because I'm training for uh, an event this weekend. Uh -huh. um, and 
uh, I was really having trouble getting in my volume. And so, you know, you sometimes stumble upon this stuff right at the moment that you need it. And uh, one of the things that he talks about is they would just like drop and give them 20, right? Like throughout the day. Right. And so I started doing that with push-ups and, and pull-ups and, you know, all these different types of things, sort of trying to get in some volume because obviously this is like a big time for E to perform. And, uh, you know, a lot of people started reading the book. It's, it's like a quick read. It's, it's really funny. But, like, what is, you know, like being on the periphery of the, the Navy SEAL Foundation and then, we're, you know, having some, some interactions with people, like – there's tons of books out there. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what your experience there and what those guys are and, and kind of like how that motivates yeah. So what you're asking is a very strange question, but I think I know how to answer it. So I am not a SEAL. Uh, Todd, who founded Kilcliff, one of my closest friends, the guy's like family to me. Um, Todd was a SEAL. And the one thing I've learned from Todd is that like being stressed out, or worried like it brings absolutely nothing to the table so if you think about any time in your life when you've had a very stressful situation like what in the hell did stress do to do for you nothing it just made a, a, an already bad situation worse so I'm an emotional guy I get worked up about shit you know like I, I scream and yell and raise hell and every, you always know what I'm thinking like if I'm mad you're gonna know I'm mad I don't harbor anything inside but one thing I've learned about from that with Todd is that it doesn't help you accomplish your goals, you know, and no matter how bad the situation is, it's really not that bad. Like I went through a multi-year audit with the IRS this year, which I thought was a nightmare. And, you know, I was like, God, this sucks. How am I, when is, when is this going to be done? How am I going to get through with this? How am I going to balance, you know, work and all that good stuff with, um, you know, dealing with all this stuff with the IRS and the accounting, you know, and whatnot. And that, uh, that was wrapped up back in October, and it's like a distant memory, you know. So I think I look back, and it's like the times that I was stressed about that, it's like, well, that didn't help me. Just I was stressed. You know, that's dumb. And the main thing that, I, that Todd has taught me is that two things, two more things. You can accomplish anything you can think of. Like Ford, they, you know, Henry Ford wanted a, what was it, an eight-cylinder car or something like that? And they're like, it can't be done. He's like, yeah, it can. Easily. We can do this. And he got with his engineers and they're like, it can't be done. He's like, yes, it can. You can do it. And they, be if, if you believe in yourself and you have people that believe in you, you can do anything in the world. Um, and then he also taught me a lot about no matter how much you think you've given, you can always give a little bit more, you know, like, I don't think I can walk another step. Dude, you can always walk another step. Give me five more steps. You quit, quit in five steps. You got it. Five more steps. So stuff like that, you know, when you get, kind of get frustrated or flustered with work or, or whatever, you know, it's, you just keep plowing ahead, you know, and, uh, and then leadership. Um, so Todd is no longer the CEO of Killcliffe. He's still on the board. He's still the largest shareholder in the company. Um, and just how important leadership is to the morale of a company and the different types of leadership. So now Chris Irwin, so Todd was a SEAL and he went through, I think he went through Bud's in 91 or 92. He's like 43. He got out in 98, you know, and so Todd was active duty for four years. He was in the reserve for three, I think. 
And then Chris Irwin, who's now the president of the company and basically de the de facto CEO, Chris went from the Naval Academy, uh, graduated sixth in his class, then he went to Cambridge and got a master's degree in international relations, and then they sent him to BUDS, and he graduated from BUDS, and he was SEAL Team 5 for five years. And then he was went through the Green Course, and he was at SEAL Team 6 for eight years as like a team leader. So very, very different paths, very, very different Navy SEAL careers. One was a SEAL during peacetime when all they did was exercise for a living, and the other one was a SEAL during you know, the war on terror. So very, very different experiences. But at the end of the day, um, you know, different leadership styles. And, and, and I, I, I tend to, you know, respond better to, like, crazy mavericks. I don't like plans. I hate plans. Um, Chris seems like, 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 like more of a plan guy. A what? Chris seems like more of a plan guy. Oh, good God, yes. Loves a plan. Loves yeah. structure. Loves chain of command. Loves extreme organization. Todd's mindset is, let's just put this parachute on. We're going to jump out of this plane, and we'll figure out how it works on the way down. I believe in you. You're like, all right, let's do this. Yeah, Chris is, you know, I, I haven't had tons of interaction with him, but he, you know, he does have kind of like that quiet confidence. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, both, you know, I've learned a lot from both of them, you know, um, a, a ton from both of them. You know, both have uh, very uh, different leadership qualities. And, you know, no one's perfect. And that's one thing that I've learned is that, um, there's no such thing as like the perfect leader or the perfect boss or the perfect coworker or no, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has highs and lows and everybody has good days and bad days. And, um, you know, you just basically want to look back when it's all said and done and know that you did it right and you made the right decisions, you know? Yeah. So and now that you're going to have, you're going to stumble along the way at times, you're going to have errors and mistakes and you're going to screw shit up, which I do all the time. But one thing about me is a, a been very good at getting myself in and out of trouble with my mouth. I've done it a lot. So yeah, a little bit. We're getting some feedback. I don't know if that's um, if there's anything that I can do in that regard or not. Too close to the speaker? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, that that could have been. I tend to yell into speakers. Yeah. So well, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. Uh, okay. But. Yeah, no, I was watching a, a movie this weekend, Desert Runners, um, and it's basically about these ultra marathoners that run 250Ks Nothing. in the desert. But no, like the whole the whole thing was to do like the grand slam of all these de deserts. So one was Gobi, one was uh, Sahara, what? one was Antarctica, um, and then I can't, I can't remember the, the fourth, but – it, it was obviously insane, um, but but through all these things that these folks go from. But getting back to the the Navy SEAL book, what was interesting about the Navy SEAL book is that you know Sarah and and uh, Jesse, the the guy that was like the author of the book, you know they live this very complicated life because you know they run you know multi you know, billion dollar companies and stuff like this. This, right. this SEAL guy shows up with a backpack and leaves with a backpack. And like all their friends and all the people that get to know this Navy SEAL guy, you know, are envious of this guy, you know, and how simplistic, um, you know, he's been able to kind of 
keep his life. So that that was sort of interesting. But yeah, this 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 Desert Runners movie. I don't know where I was necessarily going to go with that, but but that's insane if you um, if you're looking for a movie because that is that was one of my movies from this weekend. So you talked a little bit about um, in your podcast about kind of these these CrossFit competitions outside of regionals yeah. and, and, and the open and things of this nature. I 1,000% agree with you on, from the standpoint of the open, the regionals, and the CrossFit games. I think that uh, is very similar to poker. If you look at poker right now, um, for 2016, they'll still get like, you know, a bunch of people as many or more than they've ever gotten before, but it's like a very finite audience. Right. And that's sort of where CrossFit is, is that, you know, they've, they've gathered up a lot of people and those people probably aren't leaving in some way, shape or form. But one of the things that I say every single year, you may agree or disagree, um, is that if you don't participate in the CrossFit Open, like don't call yourself a CrossFitter, you know? I, I think that this is our, you know, thing. You know, this is what we do, you know? And I, I you know, I didn't always like the fact that, you know, there wasn't a scale. Last year there was a scale. Right. There were some problems with the scale. I don't think it was really well thought out. You know, it's funny though, and, and, and I'm certainly no CrossFit apologist. You know, I don't have, you know, it's sort of funny because uh, I think it was like four years ago, you know, they, they took a bunch of pictures off of Eat to Perform, um, you know, the CrossFit lawyers, because I, I put up some pictures of my kid and said CrossFit kids. And then now, you know, I'm seeing like ads for the CrossFit Times, which is like some, you know. Oh, the intellectual property stuff? Yeah, like, like, like. Well, they listen, the way that works in intellectual property law, they have to defend that. Yeah. People from becoming generic. So, like, they can't obviously stop every single violation. But what they can do is go after the biggest, not yeah. violators, but the biggest platforms that have violations. So, if I were you, my whole thing is always try to find that silver lining. And if I were you, I'd take it as a compliment. Because yeah. what it was. Your site big enough to where you popped up on the screen, you know? Well, I definitely did at the time. And, and I, I definitely think that the way that they were four years ago is, is a little different than right. they are now, as evidenced by the fact that there's somebody calling themselves the CrossFit Times um, and looked like, you know, just kind of a, a shoddy operation and they're allowing those people to live. Right. Getting back to the, the CrossFit Open, um, one of the things that CrossFit doesn't get a lot of credit for is the fact that they actually do sort of listen to the criticism. Um, they, well, they, they listen. They're always wanting – they get better every single year. And what people need to understand is that if something pops up in the middle of the open that let's say there was a loophole or something happened where they're like, dang, we shouldn't have done it that way, people want – instant gratification like they want them to go in and change everything change stop the open start it over you know like there's people that just flip out about that stuff when in fact it's like you know okay it's not perfect 
football's been around since the 1800s, okay? I have never seen a football game where there were not blown calls. And that's what people have to understand. CrossFit, the, the sport of CrossFit is very, very new. It's only, what, eight years old now? Modern CrossFit is, what, 2010? So yeah. it's evolving. They're doing the best they can. And, you know, you can't expect things to be fixed overnight. And people just need to be patient, you know? Um, Right. So, so going, going further, what I, what I was, cause we'll, we'll see where we sort of meet on this one, but when um, they didn't have a scaled, I thought it was kind of like, okay, you know, I'm going to be doing these workouts. Cause I remember doing the workouts myself. Some of the, some of the, the skills I didn't have, Right. So it, it ended up being kind of like a waste of a workout. You know, this was five years ago, right? Uh-huh. And then now, of course, there's the scaled. Last year, I, I think there were some people, you know, early on there was pull-ups. And if you didn't have pull-ups, like basically you couldn't work out. So my guess is they'll they'll figure those things out. But when, you know, you look at being part of a sport, you know, and you call yourself a, a power lifter, right? You should do a powerlifting competition. You know, if you call yourself a crossfitter, you should participate in the CrossFit Open, and I think until you do that, you're not all in. You know, I think I think in some ways, I think that that's one of the things that people allow themselves to, you know, just kind of put their toe in, and 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 you know, I'm I'm saying don't pretend, just go right. all in. You know, if you come in last, everybody's gonna cheer you on no matter what, right? I agree with that. Yeah. And so like these other competitions that are, are, are sort of out there, I, I do agree with you. I wish there was someone, you know, I, I think, you know, we could probably say what Granite Games, ECC, Wadpalooza. Rush. Yeah. Crush Games. You know, there's, there's probably, I'd say six to 10 um, that I'd really like to see almost become like a, a circuit, you know, probably. Um, and where they could get some level of sponsorship because right now grounds the proving grounds guys out in san diego do a really good job but their goal is different than all the other the, the big marquee events like they they do their comps for you know your your regular joes like they don't want to bring in you know all these marquee athletes um and I, I think one of the biggest problems that i have is that everybody wants to make you know the ecc or everybody wants to have an event like the granite games and you talk to these people on the phone, like, oh, man, we're going to blow this thing up. You know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And it's like, one, you don't know how to do that. Two, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, walking around saying, oh, I already got the domain name for the West Coast Championship. Like, what does that mean? Like, you don't have the ability to create what Ben created, you know. And that's what really frustrates me. Like, everybody, you know, they're not, it's not, they, they see the end goal, you know, which is all the notoriety for the event. What they don't see is the amount of work that goes into it. And that's one of those things that, like, just I, I want to have a, just an auto respond button on my phone that just says, shut up. You know, like, I want to do that, but that probably wouldn't be very nice. No, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be nice. The, the dick pics to CrossFit Games athletes would actually be a lot better. Um, you know, I never did get I never finished my point about Mark Bell. His whole show is about pooping. I like I can't even listen to it anymore because it's like nonstop poop talk. Well, he's pissed. he probably takes in a couple hundred grams of protein a day. Yeah, I would I would imagine. Well, he was also like super low carb. I think he's sort of changed a little bit now. He went from like I think I think he was 
like at or near 300 pounds at one point that he was competing in that weight class. I, I think, I don't know. Um, and then I think he's down now to like 220 or something, 225, 230, 240, something like that. I think when I saw him at the CrossFit Games, he was like 245, something yeah. like that. He's still, he's, he's still a big dude, yeah. Yeah, yeah. real big. For those that don't know, he, he used to be a wrestler, um, like in the WWE and, and that kind of stuff. Um, no, 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 that's his brother. No, Mark Mark was definitely he was definitely a wrestler. He talks about it a lot on the show. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I don't think he was like a big deal in it. You know. Right. But like uh, he had Stone Cold Steve Austin on the show because they uh -huh. were yeah they were friends from from the wrestling days. Um. But yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting. You know, it's sort of funny that you were talking about the proving grounds because I'm actually a big guy for that. You know, and 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 you know, not that anyone at CrossFit wants to hear what I have to say, but you know, I feel like you know that's more of the direction that needs to be gone because I, I think that getting kind of the ground level troops excited you know, and, and feeling a part of something. I think, you know, you and I go to CrossFit games every year and you go there and you're like, oh my goodness, this isn't even close to what I did, right? I, I, I think what you're getting at, like, so when they, when they, when they shrunk the regions up, so they went from, was it 10 to six or something like that, 12 to six or whatever. Um, I think that kind of nicked a, a few guys, a few gyms. So you, instead of, you know, it used to be 60, and then it went to 48, then it went to 40 or 42, you know, and now it's down to 20, and they're combining regions, which is cool. And, you know, they that was – there's a ton of money saved for that organization. Like, everyone thinks that, like, you know, CrossFit is literally rolling in the dough, and, you know, well, all this stuff is free. It doesn't cost money. Like, I know for a fact that each of those open announcements cost them a quarter of a million dollars. The trucks – camera the the every the production all that stuff is very very expensive and people don't realize that and putting on you know and just from rogue alone how much money rogue would lose a year on the regionals you know in the games is seven figures well it's i remember i remember when like um you know there was a point where people were talking about like crossfit taking over reebok or something like that People are no. That's that's one of the curses of social media. Yeah. Like, it social media has given the idiots of the world a voice and allowed them to talk and say stupid stuff. Like that's people don't understand. And, and and I don't work for Reebok. I don't work for CrossFit HQ. But the way the CrossFit Reebok relationship works, and I've been told this by higher ups at HQ and higher ups at Reebok. Reebok doesn't cut. CrossFit HQ checks every year. They they don't. They they're they're, they're that that fifteen million dollars a year is marketing spent, and on the CrossFit Games and the Open and regionals and and what they spend to promote it and commercials and all that stuff. Um, it's not in the in the purse and all that good stuff. It's not like oh here Greg here's fifteen million bucks you know you can do whatever you want like that's not how it works and you know um, back to what I was saying when they shorten the regionals, um, I think that took a little bit of sugar out of the Kool-Aid for a lot of people. Like you had a lot of guys, a lot of gals who thought they had a chance at regionals. And that was it. That's all they wanted to do was make it to regionals. Mm -hmm. and it was awesome. And I loved it. And now it's like, all right, listen, we want 
to find the fittest on the planet, and we don't need 12 regionals with 40 men and 40 women to, to, to figure that out. We know that. We have the data to support it. So I think that took a little bit of Kool-Aid out, um, and I think it's just going to take the community um, a little time to course correct to that mindset. You know, so where you had a gym out in the middle of nowhere that had a dude qualified for regionals and now that whole gym had a reason to travel to the big city, you know, to watch, you know, Billy compete. Um, it's a little bit different now. So you have, you know, less. But the open seems to be growing. And I think that's important. That's a, that's a big deal, in my opinion. Like the open yes, That's what I'm saying is like if, if they if they can keep the open growing and mm -hmm. having, you know, just kind of the base level people like. uh I, I, I'm assuming that you know about John's uh, Friday Night Lights thing. Um, Watson? Yeah. So no, I probably do. I forgot. Okay. So so John, every year, you know, he started this Friday Night Lights, and it was a way to kind of celebrate the Open at his gym. Right. And so he kind of, you know, he does what John does. He he, you know, made it into almost like a franchise. And last year, I think they had 650 CrossFit gyms do Friday Night Lights. If you're a CrossFit gym and you want to stay open, go reach out to John Swanson at Factory Forge and get his template for Friday Night Lights. Because, I mean, like Baker, he's got like a DJ, you know, at his little place. I mean, he's got he's got mascots roaming around. I mean, he gets everyone pumped up, and every single member of that gym competes in the CrossFit Open. And that's listen. The only thing that a CrossFit gym has going for it: find me one CrossFit gym that doesn't have a vibrant, thriving community that is successful. Just I'm looking for one. It, they don't exist. There's no such thing, you know. And Friday Night Lights. Or doing the open is is really what you have and what you need to use because that's all you have. You have you have a community. Yeah, and I mean it's sort of, it's sort of like it's sort of like building up. If you were you know Weight Watchers and it was the first of the year, you know you're going to get a lot of people that want to diet right at that time. That's sort of what like the CrossFit Open. And so if you're a gym owner and you're not convincing everyone in your gym to do the CrossFit Open, you're really missing an opportunity because you know. If you have 150 people in your gym, those 150 are likely to stay, but there'll be more attrition if they don't feel a part of something bigger. And, Absolutely. That's, and that's, that's, that's what CrossFit has. It's the social component. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Listen, it's like, it's listen if you think I go into a CrossFit gym to get fitter, no. I go in to hang out. That's it. Talk shit, cut up, and have a good time. Like – I don't give a shit about the dynamic warm-ups. I don't do warm-ups. I just work out, you know, and, like, I like to – if I walk out of a gym and I'm a little sweaty or a lot sweaty and I'm out of breath and I'm tired, that's good. If I walk out of a gym having the fastest time in the history of the gym or a gym record, that's super-duper. But I will trade a phenomenal workout in a gym record or PR – any day of the week for for one laugh, just one good laugh, one good memory to walk out of that gym with, that's all that matters. And, and, and as a gym owner, what that's what gym owners should focus on is their members. And, you know, I, I talk about social media a lot with to gym owners all the time. And I, I like to 
giving them examples. So I graduated from high school in 1994. All right, I played three sports in high school. I played two in college, not very well. But what I remember, you know, high school football in the South. I'm from Georgia originally. I live in Seattle now. Um, oh, can I interrupt you? I don't know if you can. If, I don't know if you can see, but um, there's Georgia. There's Champ Bailey in the background. Skylar Green. That was the national championship year for LSU. I, I don't know if you know that that I'm I'm from Louisiana originally. You sound it. That's where that accent's from. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> so what um, I remember in high school. If I scored a touchdown, if I got an interception, if I ran a kickoff back or a punt back, back when I was 175 pounds, now I'm 225, um, when I was a little speedster, my name got in the paper. And let me tell you what, buddy, Saturday mornings, that's the first thing you did when you got up out of bed was you went and grabbed the Savannah Morning News and you looked in the sports section to see if you got your name in it. And then you got the Atlanta, the, the Georgia Guardian or whatever that magazine was, newspaper was, to see if your picture was in there. And that's what you did. And it was the greatest, most wonderful, amazing feeling to see your name in the paper. And we talk about it in practice. Picks, you know, get your pick, get your name in the paper this week. So that's what CrossFit gym owners can do is they take this right here, their phone, and they create an Instagram account. If you're a CrossFit gym owner that doesn't have an Instagram account, you're dumb. You're stupid. Because this gives you the ability to brag about your members. Every single class that you have, you should take a picture in some capacity during that class, maybe at the beginning, maybe at the end, maybe during, but you tag your gym members in that post, okay? And what happens is they get a notification that they got their name in the paper. They intercepted a pass, they scored a touchdown, you know, whatever, big sack, picture in the paper. That's what you can do. And the only thing that matters for a gym owner with their gym social media account is that um, it's their members. It doesn't matter if a single person in the world follows your gym social media. The only people you want following your gym social media are your gym members. Hey, Actually, baby, man. hey baby, I'm trying to get some followers up, man. How do I do that? Who gives a shit? Go talk to your gym members. That's what you want. Well, actually, I, I can take that to the next level. And when I do seminars with gym owners i asked them this one question do you own every person in your town and they will often say i don't even know what you're talking about i said well if you live in poughkeepsie new york and i don't know how many people live in poughkeepsie new york but let's say that there's fifteen thousand people i have no clue how to spell that by the way yeah no nor do i um but it would cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of about 350 people to own every single person on Facebook in Poughkeepsie, New York. Then what you do is similar to what you just said. Even though your gym members, you want to celebrate your gym members, I agree with what you're saying in terms of Instagram and Facebook, but you also want to be able to put out information. A lot of gym owners don't think about this, the information that they tell members on a daily basis that actually regular folks would like to hear as well. And so if they have five foods that they go to at a local grocery store, put an article about that. There might be a lady that reads that in Poughkeepsie, New York, and then when she thinks about joining a gym, she goes, hey, that, that guy with those articles, I read those articles. My son was in the paper, and they put his 
highlight video on that gym. Like there's probably members in your gym that would do that for you. Yeah. And you're not taking advantage of that type of stuff. And so I think that that takes what you're saying to the next level. But I think that, you know, I mean, let's be honest, the good majority of gym mem- gym owners, you know, they're sort of struggling with the success model. You know, there's a lot of, you know, there's there's the the people that are doing really, really well. And then there's a lot of people that are kind of wondering if they're going to have to go back to accounting, you know. In, in the absence of business sense or experience, do the little things, do the free things better than anyone. Every time a gym member walks in your gym, they need to be checking in on Facebook to your gym because that tells everyone in their network what they're doing. Sally Smith just checked in to CrossFit Poughkeepsie, and everybody in Sally's space knows about that gym. And there should never be a moment in time when a person engages your business on social media they make a comment. That comment should be liked. Very, very simple. You know why? Because when they make a comment and then you engage them and you like that comment on the phone or you respond back, they get a notification on their phone that CrossFit Poughkeepsie just responded. And, and I hope that CrossFit Poughkeepsie is a great gym because <laughs> right, I, really throwing them under the bus. No, yeah, no. I, I actually, I'm pretty sure CrossFit Poughkeepsie is. Um, I think it's Joe Asenko's, uh, Joe Asenko's account, and I think it's actually a decent gym, if I'm not mistaken. That's um, because, I, I mean, I just, like, I don't know why. But there's, I there's a lot of little things you can do, and if you have a community, like a rising tide raises all ships, and your gym community is made up of a multitude of different types of people, different jobs, different backgrounds, things like that, and they want you to succeed, they want the gym to succeed, they want their family to succeed, they want that social club to succeed. So – don't hesitate to reach out for help and say, hey, guys, here's kind of what I want to do. Here, I have 24 hours in a day. Here's my schedule. Can anyone help me with this? Because this is the beautiful part about it. Everybody in the CrossFit space wants to be a part of the community. Not everybody's an athlete. Not everybody's going to make it to regionals. Not everybody's going to do the games. But a lot of people want to volunteer. They want to judge, you know. And for those, like those people that can't judge or don't want to judge, there's something for everybody. You just got to let them know that the opportunities are there and that you welcome their help. Like, listen, I'm the first guy in the world. If I need help with something, I will ask, like, immediately. I, I don't – I'm not stubborn. I'm not bullheaded when it comes to what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. I don't believe in working on weaknesses. I think it's a waste of time. I think it's absurd. Like, I want to be the best at three things in the world. Like, I want to be the greatest in the world at three things. I don't give a shit about being good at three things and then, like, was really terrible at seven things and now is just sort of kind of terrible. I think that's like your first doesn't do anything for me. Huh? Your first three years of CrossFit, like, you should probably work on all that other type of stuff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Once you, once you start to get, you know, you got to kind of know where your wheelhouse is. Yeah. And just kind of, kind of go from there. Yeah, it's sort of funny what you were saying about the likes and and things of this nature because that that's one of the within the eat to form community. You know, people will say, "How do you have time to respond to all these posts?" And I mean, people look at it as if like this isn't my dream come true. You have to do it. You listen. You got to find time. You got to find a way. It's just that. But, but if if it's a if it's a struggle for you. And you don't want to do it, you're in the wrong job. You yeah. know, like I, there's someone in your organization that will help you. Know? Like, 
Yeah. You, you got to find a way. That's what I tell people. You know, say, like, hey, what do I do? I got to do this. I can't do this. It's like, dude, find a way. There's somebody, you tell there's somebody that but wants listen, to be that person. There is something that you should probably share with people. This is one of the greatest things Todd, who founded Kill Club, is a former SEAL, ever, ever, ever shared with me. And it is titled A Message to Garcia. And it had to do with the Bay of, Bay of Pigs invasion. And there was a guy, the CIA, that had to get a letter to uh, letter to Garcia. Had to get a letter to this certain rebel guy. And like the dude didn't speak Spanish, didn't know what the hell he was doing. He was going to get dropped off on a beach somewhere, parachute in or whatever. And it, the whole invasion hinged around his success. And they were like, he was like, what do I do? And they were like, you take this letter and you get it to Garcia. We're depending on you. How do I do it? Find a way. You're either going to find a way or you're going to find an excuse. There's no other way. I mean, you either, you either try and fail, which is okay. You don't do anything and you still fail. And then you look like a double idiot because, yeah, you didn't even try, yet you still failed. At least put in the effort, you know. But, yeah, let's, uh, Letter to Garcia, dude, it's absolutely awesome. It's very inspiring. Um, it's the best thing Todd's ever said to me. He said a lot of great stuff to me, but that was one of the best things. So just so you know, your whole spiel about good and plenty set off a whole bunch of people, and they're all saying that there's way more than five people that like good and plenty. So you might be wrong on that one. We have found a lot of dishonest people in this thing. Good, Listen, people. It's possible. Listen, people. No. No. Okay, so so here's here's my question. So hey, I, I give me one name. I can't even see these people. Who are where are these people? <laughs> they exist. I, I, can I, I see people talking? No, I can't. I can't. I can't mess with their anonymity, man. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, chat thing here. Uh, there is no chat through the. I actually have like a webinar. Uh, okay. Module. That, yeah. So okay. So um, around this time of year. I, I, guess, I, I guess I'll admit to this. It's, it's funny. I really wanted to talk to you more about, like, the guns thing because, like, um, like I'm not anti-gun. I'm not pro-gun. I, you know, anything at all. We'll have that conversation. Um, we can talk on. about guns, guns. I'll sum it up for you real quick. Real quick. Yeah. Like, okay. Put it in perspective. All right. This, Kimber 45, sitting on my table. Kimber, Mountain Ascent in 280. This is my duck hunting shotgun. Of those three guns, I've only shot the shotgun. I've never fired the pistol. I've never shot the rifle. Um, they just happen to be there. I have relationships with, with that company, Kimber. My position on guns is really, really simple. I believe in the Second Amendment, okay? Um, I think that American citizens have the right to keep and bear arms, and I don't think it should be infringed upon. That being said, I do not see, I have no problem with you doing extended background checks on me. I have no problem. I, I think extended mags, you know, in pistols, like a 30 round mag for a Glock, I think it's stupid and I don't see a purpose for it. it in my opinion, a 30 round mag in a, a 30 round mag in a pistol that sticks out this far, I don't know if you can see that, yeah. but like that just, if it's, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, what are you going to, like, what are you, what are you going to do with that? Um, no, I, I got a totally different angle. Let me finish. Hold on, let me finish. Okay, go ahead. And, I, but I don't think it's my position to tell you how to live your life. 
And the biggest problem that I have with this anti-gun debate is the fact that it has been politicized. And it is a bunch of garbage. You have groups of people that are pitting us. We're in the middle of a bunch of bullshit. People <coughs> fighting over stupid shit. Like, you want to stop mass killings, mass shootings and stuff? It's not – guns are one of the issues, but all of these gun background check changes, all these, you know, gun control laws, none of that stuff would have stopped a single one of those shootings. And to say that and to use that as your, as, as your platform is disgusting, one, and two, it just it's a bunch of bullshit. Just say, hey, listen – we got a bunch of crazy people. We got to make sure we don't get guns in their hands. We need to worry about, you know, psychoanalytic drugs. I think we over-medicate the shit out of people. All these shootings, except for the San Bernardino one, that was terrorism. And the Nashville one, that was another act of terror. They all have a lot of stuff in common. Guns is one of them. Legal guns is one. And then they have, like, they're all these people on, on, on psycho meds. And they all happened in gun-free zones. So, like, you're, you're, you went the whole serious bit on it. My thing was, I grew up not around guns at all. I didn't know anybody that owned and, a gun. And the reason I showed you those guns, they're no big deal to me. Like, a gun is no big deal to me. Like, I, I, I own probably 30 of them. I just, they don't, I don't care. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I, I never saw a gun, never was around a gun. I moved to Minnesota. Now, I'm from Louisiana, so there's a fair amount of hunting. And, and I remember that my oh, best. Yeah, my uncle, my uncle was a hunter, um, but in Minnesota hunting, I'm just around a lot more hunters. My wife's family are hunters. In their living room, they had guns all up and down the wall, right? right. They weren't locked or anything like that, and it was like the most amazing thing to me. I had never seen anything like that before. It was totally new to me. But what was funny about it was that my brother-in-laws, they would go deer hunting every single year. I didn't go. just wasn't my thing. Um, but I had sort of – I had, like, this habit of hitting deer in Minnesota. You know, the, like, deer are everywhere. So I've, I've hit more deer than my brother-in-laws have shot. Now, I can say that on our podcast because I know my brother-in-laws are never going to listen to this. But – so that that's my gun story. So I was just kind of keeping it fun. Yeah, I mean, like I um, I don't I don't have a problem with background checks and extended background checks, and I, I don't think that people should be able to sell guns to one another without making sure the person receiving the gun is legally authorized to own a gun, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't have a problem with that, but it's not my job to tell you what you can and can't do as a person, and I'd be damned if I'm going to support any type of political positioning that's not, you know, the best thing for the, for Americans and, and to try and trick people into thinking that, Oh, if we had extended background checks, none of these school shootings would have happened. That's a lie. That's bullshit. And you're just taking advantage of people to push an agenda. You know, um, what's funny, what's funny about this conversation is that what you don't know is that a good majority of people that are listening to this podcast, a lot of times are, are listening for a topic related to fat loss and right. we've not covered any fat loss at all, uh, which is totally wild, wild game is delicious and nutritious for you. So here's my exactly. this is a lot of lot, lot of protein there. This um, is office. See, there's a there's a deer on the wall. 
don't know if you can see that. Yeah, well, that's similar. That's similar to my position where where the turkey where Champ Bailey's getting burned. Um, yeah, there's a turkey feather, turkey fan. See that? Yeah, Champ Bailey's like ten yards back of Skylar Green as he's catching that pass. There's a turkey fan, a turkey feather, and then here there's. You know, we got turkey feathers and pintail sprigs and all kinds of stuff. I mean, this, the, my seat is, this is all hunting apparel, like on the back of my jacket, like every bit of that. Binos on the wall. It's just, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big part of my life and it's something I'm very passionate about, but I don't, I don't push my agenda on people. Like if you're an anti-hunter, anti-gun, or you, you know, I, that's fine. You know, and I would rather people be able to believe in the first amendment you can say whatever you want you know just don't like physically you know kind of mess around with me or crazy stuff you know, <laughs> yeah. what are you, you're strapped why the hell are they gonna fuck with you dude yeah i don't i don't i don't conceal carry i use my mouth i get in and out of trouble with my mouth you know i, don't, I carry a little tiny pocket knife in my car i don't even know what strapped means i i, I just listen to too much hip-hop carrying a gun but um okay so so before before we leave i want to know your opinion on those sweethearts the ca the candies that are only available around Valentine's Day. Have you seen the second episode of my show? No. <laughs> you swear to God, have I told you that? Because that's what oh. I do. That's the one I evaluate on the second episode. That's hilarious. You, I didn't tell you that. Oh, I dude. Promise. I, I I swear I I don't. But I am a sucker for those things, man. Like if I go you into a, you know what your problem is, you've never had good candy. That's what I'm, oh, I'm going to text you a pic right now. Of, I, think I think I'm soft. I think that might be it. <laughs> you, you, you probably do you like candy corn? Uh, I like candy corn with peanuts. I can't have candy corn by itself. You mix it with peanuts? Oh, you got to mix it with the peanuts. That, that's the only way to really do it. And once again, like all the people coming in for fat loss, they're like, wait a second. They talked about good and plenty, sweethearts, and candy corn with peanuts. Hey, listen. You don't read another good and plenty better person for it. But anyway, so the, the the podcast is um, it's not like on iTunes or anything yet. I've just done one episode. I put it on on Vimeo. It's on my Facebook page. Um, it's the Panic Room with Black Baker. Um, find it on Vimeo. Um, the next I'll do episode two. We've recorded that. That one's really good. That'll go out um the week after the ECC when Mather gets back from Mexico. Uh, we'll put that up and um. You know, so, were you, were, so tell us, were you pro-sweethearts or were you anti-sweethearts? This is most, it's the biggest waste of time candy in the world. Like how, it's <laughs> air dust. You can't, you're killing me here, man. Ten at one time and then you tell me what you think of them. No chaser. Ten, ten, they're called signature hearts. I think that's what they're called. Um, conversation hearts, that's the name yeah, of it. Yeah, conversation hearts. They're awful. I hey. found one that said the word titty on it. <laughs> I think you're getting yours from the wrong store, brother. I think no, that's the problem. That. Hugs and kisses and conversation hearts. I'm not kidding, man. I just I just texted you the photo. Yeah, all you gotta do is send send a couple. Though, I mean, are you married? No, Kelsey, come here real quick. Yeah. Oh, please, babe, come on. It's Paul Nobles. He's famous and shit. No, oh, babe, please. But I'm telling you, if you if you bring Kelsey a couple of those conversation hearts, you know, sweetie, I, I thought of you throughout the day. Here you go. It would seem kind of personal. Am I wrong there? 
What do you think a conversation was? The candy, the La Valentine candy. Sweethearts? Yeah. I wouldn't go out of my way to buy them, but if they're in front of me, I'd eat the whole jar. What about Good and Plenty? No. You're yeah. gross. Yeah, not, not a but. I agree on the Good and This is the like first Mike thing she's ever agreed. Oh, Mike and X are the jam. Yeah. She's, oh, yeah. she's ever agreed with me on. No, but those, those sweethearts, you, you're, you're absolutely right. You wouldn't go out of the way, but then once you have them, like you just cannot stop. I mean, it's yeah. just like mainline. I'm the most compulsive person in this conversation, and I can stop. I'll eat one and spit it out, and that's it. Oh, my goodness. I, no, I don't believe that. I'm going to test that for you. I'll let yeah. you know. Awesome. You know, that way. <laughs> I can't all right. See you guys later. It was a great podcast. We'll uh, we'll have to do it again sometime, and we'll I have to try to be a little funnier next time. I think. Is that Are you I'm coming to DCC? I am not. I'm competing at the Greensboro competition. Give them hell, brother. All righty, man. Great. Thanks Thank for you, doing man. this. Talk yes, to sir. Have a good one.